Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Who do you listen to? What do you listen to? How do you learn and get a feel for how things are going in the business? I've asked those questions a lot recently as the world moved virtual and casual conversations became scarce. We really depend on those casual conversations. They're really important. And some people have built their business around answering those questions. People like Michael Bull. His Bull Realty was uh, started over 20 years ago in Atlanta, uh, focused on disposition acquisition, project leasing, tenant rep, consulting services. I'm sure there's a few other things as well that they do. They are a significant presence in nine southeastern states, but their reach goes even further than just one region because every week for 11 years, CEO Michael Bull has hosted a podcast called The Commercial Real Estate Show, and it is a show reaching everyone technically uh, could listen to it on the internet with discussions around market forecasts, insights, where things are going, where things might not go, what are the risks, et cetera, et cetera, with some just wonderful guests. And I was lucky enough to be a guest on his show uh, a couple of weeks ago and to talk about the AFIRE survey. But what really struck me was how he worked, was how Michael thought about uh, the conversation, how he engaged, how it felt like I was having a casual conversation with my good friend, Michael Bull, at a conference that we were having coffee together. He kept that conversation going even when you can't do it personally. So I wanted to learn more about him and I asked him to join me on the AFIRE podcast. And so I'm, I'm really grateful, Michael, uh, to have you on the AFIRE podcast. Well, Ghana, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, you were certainly excellent, excellent on America's commercial real estate show. So thank you for joining us there. You bet. Now, I guess let's just start here a little bit with why. Why did you start the show 11 years ago? And, and how has it shaped your business, your, your real estate business, um, over the last 11 years? Well, when I started 11 years ago, we were in a really down cycle, right? Uh, and uh, people were looking for answers and questions and, and wondering what was going on and, and what the future held. And um, I started on a radio station here in Atlanta, uh, and I did my first show, and I was going to do live t uh, question and answers. And when, uh, and then about a month before I started the show, they called me and said, we're doing, we're, we're building studios. You can't do a live show on Saturday morning at 10 and take calls. You're going to have to record it. And I'm like, oh, no. That means I've got to figure out everything in advance. And so I did my first show on commercial loan workouts in October of, I guess it was 2010. Yeah, so you imagine that was right after the 09 debacle. Uh, and when I, when I finished that show on commercial loan workouts, I thought, wow, this is incredible information, really for people all over the country. And that's when I realized that, that it, it might be a great show and eventually went to 60 radio stations. And in the beginning, we started recording it as a podcast. And then eventually the radio stations just kind of started losing their appeal and their audience. And it just went purely digital, and we built a studio and started doing um, uh, videos as well. So that that's kind of how it started. When uh, you think about um, 
the amount of folks now that are doing podcasts that are in the kind of commercial real estate space. I, I'm guessing it to be around half a dozen, maybe a, a, a few more. None of us have done this as long as you have. I mean, you've kind of seen a lot uh, in 11 years in terms of how this form has changed and, and where it's gone. Um, when you speak with um, folks purely from a from a business standpoint, not from a communications standpoint, um, is that 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 conversation that that's going on on a regular basis does that impact uh, the relationship you have or how you're communicating in the real world? You know the the relationships from the radio show have been helpful to and and what I've learned each week uh, from the people I interview and have been able to have conversations with people like you and 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 ask you the questions that I think my audience is curious about, which uh, some people ask me, how do you decide what your show's about, who you have on, and what you ask them? And I say, well, whatever interests me. <laughs> uh, it's great because, you know, I, I figure my audience are big-time commercial real estate people, and, you know, they're really in the commercial real estate business, and, and, and I think I know what they want to know. And it's been very helpful to really just, I think the biggest benefit for me of having the show is, is really what I learn and, and kind of the worldly view and big picture view. Because I think when I started it, I was a pretty successful commercial broker. And, you know, uh, as a normal successful commercial broker thinks, I thought a lot of myself. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but when I started doing the show, like, wow, uh, I've, I've even learned a lot more. <laughs> so, or learned, I didn't know what I didn't know, right? So. Well, I mean, it, it does feel, it, it's, it's strangely a humbling experience, you know, even though you're, you're, I guess you're performing, right? So you're, you know, you're, you're doing something for a show. But my experience has been, it's, it's very humbling. You're, you're trying to figure out how can I do this how can I do this well? And then also listening to that other person and really listening to them and getting a sense of how how they think and and realizing, gosh, that's something I've missed. I, I want to learn more about that and and, and where I go from there. Um, I once uh, heard someone say that to interview someone is to be stupid is is to <laughs> is to ask the 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 stupid questions. Would, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's all about thinking about who your audience is and listening very carefully to the person I'm interviewing and thinking as the audience, what does that make me think of next? What, what do I want to know next? And uh, uh, I think that's what's helped my show is, I may even had people comment that, that you seem to know what I'm thinking. And then that's because I don't have set questions um, and, and I'm not you know, ignoring the, the, what I'm hearing. I'm listening very carefully, as deep as I can and thinking like, and I think of my audience as principals who own buildings and buy buildings yeah. uh, and, and real estate. Uh, and, uh, and so I try to think of what they want to know and, 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 and ask that next and, uh, and, and have a good conversation. Like, you know, your interview, you mentioned it was great. And, uh, uh, and I think people will get a lot of uh, benefit and value out of what you said. And, and I'm just thinking about what they want to know and, and asking. When you uh, sit down with a client, uh, do you find that that discipline of of, of really listening, of, of asking those questions, and 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 thinking in terms of what they want to know? I mean, is that does that change the way you, as a commercial broker, exper experience the world versus you before the great financial crisis in terms of how you deal with people? Yeah, it's very similar, uh, Gunnar. You're you're right. It's very similar. You know, I when I'm working with the clients, I ask open-ended questions and 
try to figure out what's most important to them uh, and to see if I can help them and how I can help them and what I should do or say next. So uh, I've trained myself in, in mediums like this, you know, all my life. And, uh, you know, I started selling real estate. Uh, I got my license when I was 19 and at 22, I was a full-time commission only agent. Um, and so, you know, I've studied it all my life and taken classes like um, speaking classes. Uh, I did some uh, stand-up comedy, took stand-up comedy classes, um, took classes on, on uh, hosting television shows. So I'm, I'm a, I think I feel like I'm a lifetime learner. And, uh, but uh, you're, you're right on. It's, it's been very helpful to ask the right questions and listen to clients and really try to be helpful to them. When you think about uh, what we've experienced in the last 20 years of kind of communication changes in terms of, you know, the internet and everything else, that's longer than 20 years, but that, but everything we're doing around communication is changing and it's harder to get a hold of people. It's harder to reach people. And then we had a year of, of, you know, year and a half of, or whatever of COVID, it's made it even harder to reach people. Um, how do you think we can do a better job of having those kinds of conversations? ways that we can help kind of open things up with your clients, with others, as, as we're learning more. And, you know, I'm all ears because that, that's my job. I'm trying to figure out how best to do that. How can we get the communication better? Well, you know, you're, you're opening, uh, it was making me think about that. You know, um, it's a good point in that we're, we don't have as many face-to-face -face meetings and with all the conferences and things. And, uh, you know, I think it's just being proactive to actually do reach out to people and, and reach out to the right people that, that you feel that you've got some connection and some information, some benefit, something you can really do to help them. Like I lead a team that sells large office buildings and I'm pretty confident if people buy and sell large office buildings that I can be of value with opportunities, buyers, whatever, right? So, you know, I think just being proactive and just really reaching out to them by calls and emails, you know, the old fashioned way. and and. and and actually trying to, to meet with them. I've had, uh, I'm fixed, as you would say about your dog. I have both <laughs> shots. I'm vaccinated, so I'm yeah. safe, right? Uh, I'm as safe as a salesman can be to you. <laughs> well, you definitely want your, your, your salesman to be fixed. Uh, there's, there's no question. Well, I mean, you, you see the, you know, the Southeastern market is your, is your backyard and how you look at it. And uh, we mentioned in our last conversation on your show that Atlanta is at the top four position for markets that global investors, institutional investors uh, want to be in this year. Um, love to get a sense of how is Atlanta, and certainly Atlanta's changed so much in the last 10 years or so, but how, how is it changing? What should people be looking at and thinking about? Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's certainly gotten on the radar over the past several years. And uh, I remember before the 96 Olympics, I think a lot of people thought uh, we drove on dirt roads and had X's on the top of our cars down here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like 96 Olympics. Like, wow, they have paved roads and, uh, and Mercedes and Audis. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and then, yeah, over the years, you know, and then, you know, I think more recently, uh, as, as you mentioned, uh, a lot of uh, institutional investors are kind of looking at, uh, these secondary markets is, is nice uh, growth opportunities. And, you know, Atlanta has a diverse um, employment, it has great uh, education facilities, it has the, the, the great, the, one of the busiest or the busiest airport in the world. And it's nice for me, us uh, here at Bull in Atlanta, because we can jump on a plane and 
be at a meeting in Chicago or New York and then be back home tonight. We have so many flights in and out. Um, so I think Atlanta has a lot going for it, like a lot of the, the smile uh, markets uh, that you've mentioned and, 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 and the Southeast in general. So uh, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, good uh, opportunities uh, in these markets. When we, uh, one of the, obviously, most people's view now uh, of Atlanta is, is certainly not what it was in the early 90s, but uh, has been perhaps influenced by how uh, some of the political volatility that's taken place in Atlanta uh, and some upcoming change uh, in that you're going to be having uh, a mayor stepping down. So how are you seeing that impacting the, the business environment, the real estate environment in, uh, in Atlanta? You know, I haven't seen it uh, be that much of an impact. You know, it seems like one of the things I learned from doing this show uh, for so many years and interviewing great, smart people like you that, you know, are PhDs and, and economists and, you know, they have the ability and the time to look at all the numbers on all the properties and, and, and what's going on and then the time to study the market and the economy and put it all together. And when I asked those people about some of the political impacts and the election results and you know, and they look back throughout history because they have time. They don't have to sell buildings for a living. Um, <laughs> they look at throughout history and they're like, look, if you look, it really doesn't have that much impact. Um, and because people are buying real estate for pretty long term outlooks. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. you know, I'm not seeing any of, of that really impact uh, anybody's thoughts uh, on Atlanta. And, and certainly from an institutional perspective, what everyone's looking at is, is the demographics, which are like this mm -hmm. just you know, wave that cannot be stopped uh, or even slowed down in terms of the amount of, of people moving to the, uh, the Atlanta area um, and how that creates, obviously, the demand that uh, we see. And it's a, it's a demographic that's young, highly educated, highly motivated, um, and pursuing multiple um, industries that Atlanta uh, has kind of inside its circle. Um, one of the things that, that struck me, I did a lot of work in Atlanta in the 90s, uh, around the time of the Olympics, and it was a great city then. Uh, Midtown was kind of like no one really wanted to be there. I, I know that sounds weird now, <laughs> um, but yeah. to go from that environment in the '90s to uh, seeing it, you know, perhaps for the first time in ten years, I'd say about seven or eight years ago, going, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute, wait a minute, Midtown, what happened? Yeah, you know, this is amazing, and 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 certainly the the values going through the roof. What do you think is happening in Midtown, and what do you think? Uh, where do you think it's going? Yeah, I think Midtown's one of the hottest office markets uh, in the country, and uh, it's a great place to be. Uh, and the, a lot of the in-town markets uh, around Atlanta, the amount of construction and development, you know, when you have, now we have West Midtown that, that we're calling it, and, and a lot of these in-town neighborhoods where you'd have been afraid to drive through in the early 90s. Yeah. I mean, literally afraid to drive down the road. You know, homes went from you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars to three to four hundred thousand uh, dollars, and some of them up to eight hundred, nine hundred thousand dollars. That in the nineties were thirty thousand and dangerous, right? So yeah, there's a, a lot of areas, and, and Midtown will continue to flourish. It's 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 a great location, and uh, and and it's funny you mentioned Midtown because I grew up in in Morningside, and my first apartment was in Virginia Highlands, and it's right in that Midtown area, and I. When I started as a kid selling 
uh, brokerage, I started selling apartments, and I concentrated on all the in-town markets. Uh, and to your point, a lot of people were like, oh, do we really want to buy here? And once I was showing the apartment deal to an investor and I was trying to sell them that Midtown's going to be great, it's going to be great, you should buy here. We're driving down Juniper Street. These two women uh, stop in front of my Mercedes um, and uh, they looked a little rough and then they pulled up their shirts and <laughs> and I thought, oh no, here I'm trying to talk this guy into buying in Midtown and they do this and I'm like, oh, I've lost that deal. Right? <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> It's really changed a lot. Oh, boy. Yeah, it has. And, and and in such dramatic fashion, obviously, a lot of the work has been going on for a long time to get to that point. But it it, uh, it does have that feel for a non-Atlantan that, wow, I just, you know, I went to bed one night, woke up, and there's there's Midtown. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing how much has happened and how much growth and how much value increase there's been. Um, do you think that that has some more uh, runway to go, or do you think it's going to even out to a certain extent? Or we're, we're, I, I'm asking a broker, and of course it's going to grow, right? But uh, you know, any nuance <laughs> that you have on that would be great. Yeah, I, I think it's going to continue to grow. I think, uh, to your point, the demographics and the job market and the diversity we have here and employment and the companies we have here. You know, my office is across the street from UPS headquarters and. Half a block down is the uh, Mercedes-Benz World Headquarters. You know, we're right here at the perimeter market, which is very, uh, U.S. headquarters, rather. We're really close in uh, in here, but we're, we're a suburban perimeter market. So, uh, you know, I think we're going to continue to have the uh, job growth, the population growth, uh, and, and it's going to continue to be a great market to, to buy in. And, you know, I think one of the things that's making the real estate investment in general interesting at the time right now is, uh, the inflation of the cost of construction, right? And, uh, you know, we just took out a property in the market in the D.C. area, and we did the math. If you were to develop the same building and build it out, uh, it would be about $475 a foot, and we're selling this beautiful Lego building at just about 500 a foot or slightly over it, so it's going to be hard to replace and, and uh you know, kind of makes it where well, who's going to build here, and I think rents are going to continue to go up, and I think the construction cost for replacement cost is is one of those things that uh, are is going to really help the market. What what I've seen so far in terms of replacement costs, because it's it's all supply chain related, and it's it's all that kind of up and down, is that it's pretty volatile. It's like yeah, it, it's bad. It, it could be worse. It could be better. Uh, you know, wait a week. It'll go in, a, you know, perhaps in another direction where we go from there. Do you have any at least gut feel for how that might settle down? Or we may need to bring in a supply chain expert for that. But, you know, how do you feel about how those costs are going to play out over the next few years? Yeah, well, I have asked uh, experts that. And and I'm getting a sense that maybe by spring of next year, this, these some of these costs should come down, um, that maybe the demand from um, single family will dissipate some, um, and the supply chains will catch up. And so it may be spring is kind of what I'm hearing before, um, materials prices, uh, really subside that have just gone up by crazy amounts over the last year. And, and it seems like every time, you know, you get a grip on one kind of supply, another one suddenly becomes short somewhere. I mean, it's just, it, it feels like whack-a-mole at the moment yeah. um, as, as we try to figure out, uh, you know, where those things go, but it, it, it's going to be crazy for a little while. Yeah. Um, certainly. Now, what do you think 
most people miss? I think people miss smiles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I think come, when I see the mask coming off and we get to see each other's smiles, I think that's what uh, I missed most and I think people most missed. And then, then just being around people. And uh, we, we've, we've worked a lot in our office around people here. We were pretty active in 2020, and we've been very active in 2021. And we've continued to work and, and, and be a lot in the office. And I think because we're a small company, we have about 32 brokers and about 10 staff. I think I see the smaller private companies be a little more assertive about getting together and working in their, in their offices. And I see that in the office buildings I sell as well. But then you have the larger companies with a lot of employees there. You know, they, they've got to avoid risk more, and, and I think more hesitant to get people together. And um, so I think just people want to see each other. They want to get out. They, they want to travel. You know, you can see it from the, the travel increasing, the flights increasing, the hotels uh, and uh, increasing, not the convention ones, but the vacation ones, right? Um, so I think people want to see each other. They want to get together. It's it's interesting to me that so much of of – what we're discovering is is what's actually uh, you know we can do a lot we can do a lot with Zoom calls we can do a lot with this we can do a lot you know there's also and it's it's marvelous it's exciting but the thing that's missing are those things that they have something to do with business but tangentially you know it, it you know the smile uh, that we're the, that now there's something that the smile means that helps us I guess I guess it's from a trust uh, perspective and a connection perspective but. Um, you know, they haven't figured that out in Silicon Valley yet in terms of yeah. how to do that. And um, I think also the, the, I like the efficiency. You know, uh, we've done a lot of business, like I said, and, and just simple things like getting a contract release reviewed and getting back comments and closing loans with, with lenders. And, you know, the inefficiency of this work from home has been, has been really frustrating. And, and I think when people have the choice of working with providers who are trying to work from home, and then working with providers who are in their offices, there's a, there's a great efficiency when you can walk down the hall and get an answer real fast instead of having to schedule a Zoom between yeah. uh, <laughs> movies on, on the couch. <laughs> on the couch, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I, I also think there's there's real value to uh, not being butts in seat all the time, you know. And that's what we end up doing on Zoom. We're always in the same place as opposed to walking down the hall and saying, "Hey, can you sign this?" or <laughs> right. um, or even I, I miss regular phone call uh, conference calls where you could pace or, or something or, you know, be looking out the window while you were on the call. Yeah. Uh, somehow uh, that was helpful for my limited capability uh, to sit still. Um, so, um, well, I, I think we, Michael, we've run out of time. So, you know, I, I want to thank you uh, for being a part of this. We have, uh, we have to remind everyone uh, to subscribe if they haven't subscribed yet. And we are on, it, it seems like every service, but there's probably some out there that we aren't. Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Podchaser, and Pandora, and still more to come, I'm sure. But in the meantime, thank you, Michael, for joining me on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you, Gunnar. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it.
You've been listening to the A Fire podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. A Fire is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the A Fire podcast, may have been obtained from third party sources considered to be reliable. A Fire is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third party information. The opinions expressed in the A Fire podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of A Fire. To learn more about the A Fire podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.